Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Hey, welcome, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's always a pleasure to have you with me. Uh, today, my first guest is David McIlvaney, uh, the CEO of McIlvaney Financial Group. Uh, he was with, uh, he was on the show a couple of years back, and we talked about some interesting state-of-the-art current topics regarding the investment world, and today we're going to do the same. We're going to get brought up to date with David. So, David, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome this morning. Uh, great to be with you, Bill. Hey, David, uh, tell me... Uh, so let's, we're going to get into what's what's current, what's going on with today's marketplace, and some great ideas and tips for our listeners. But before we do that, uh, could you please just share with us a little bit about you and your background, and and how you came into this business, and and what you do for people? Yeah, we're a second generation family business. We've always worked with money in one form or another. So precious metals brokerage for 48 years. Uh, we helped get gold legalized January 1st, 1975. And we're in business a couple of years before that, found a unique tax loophole that allowed us to be providing bullion to Wall Street. And it was kind of a unique uh, start for us. The asset management side of our business started in 2008. Um, great year for us to start. We made money in 2008 and 2009 in the middle of the global financial crisis. We tend to view the markets a little bit differently than your typical Wall Street firm, and that sets us apart. Uh, you know, I could even give you an example today. Um, Dow is down and we're up. So th- there, there are ways to approach the markets uh, which don't put as much capital at risk, lower your risk profile, uh, and increase long-term returns. Um, and part of that is just seeing the world from a different vantage point, maybe looking ahead onto the horizon a bit and managing both the risk side of the, the, the equation as well as the reward. Wall Street does a pretty good job of focusing on reward um, and typically ignores risk. So I think uh, our approach, our attitude, risk mitigation, uh, conservative wealth generation through time, there are some things that set us apart in the world of asset management and precious metals brokerage. And um, happy to be doing that here in the second generation, uh, 48 years in. Great, great background. Thanks very much for that. Um, it's very uh, interesting today's, uh, you know, the our, our listeners tend to be age 50 plus generally because they're thinking about, you know, exiting their business and monetizing that and, and reinvesting and living off income, which is hard to come by these days in traditional investment asset allocations. Uh, how do you... Uh, how do you approach that, and, and what advice would you give to uh, individuals out there who are saying, you know, I just, I, I'm not seeing yield where I thought I'd see yield. How, how, how do they expand their horizons and learn more about what's available and what's out there? 
Yeah, Bill, I think that we're in a really awkward t- point in time where you've got 10,000 baby boomers a day or more uh, retiring and looking for their nest egg to provide something for them. Uh, today, 10-year Treasury bills are will provide less than 1%, 93 basis points of, of yield. If you're in Germany, the 10-year Treasury is a negative 69 uh, basis points. France is negative. Switzerland is negative. We've got between 13 and, and $15 trillion of government bonds all over the world, which have less than zero yield, negative yield. So finding income, what, what has happened is sort of the unintended consequence of central banks trying to, to keep everything elevated and keep things healthy in the economy is that you've really starved out um, the, uh, the opportunities in, in terms of income within the fixed income space. How we solve that problem is looking at real assets that do provide a little bit more income. So, for instance, one of our model portfolios targets about a 4% yield, and this is dividends. And we're interested in infrastructure. We're interested in specialty real estate. We're interested in global natural resources, global precious metals. And our feel is that you're in a time where central banks are incredibly active. If there's a big surprise within the marketplace, we think it could be an inflationary surprise owning real things is not a bad deal. I mean, if that's a cell phone tower or, um, or, or, or even the old, old-fashioned toll, toll bridge or toll road, these are things that are not likely to go to zero and you get paid while you wait for some appreciation and in some instances paid fairly handsomely. So our approach for income is not in the fixed income world because the fixed income world is, is absolutely distorted, twisted, and dangerous. Um, that's the result of the central banks, uh, you know, lowering rates to zero or even negative. And uh, this this week is a, is a great case in point with the Fed lowering uh, interest rates another 50 basis points. Yeah, interesting comments there. And one one thing I wrote down here is the fixed income world is distorted and and twisted and dangerous. Let's talk about that for a second. So, because I think a lot of people are wondering, you know, if the economy is so good, how come I can't get a yield out there? I mean, I, uh, b- business owners seem to be busy. Um, why have the? Why do you think the Fed policy for so long kept interest rates so low? And what you know, was it artificial? Was it to stimulate the economy? Was it so that the government didn't have to pay a lot of interest on the money it was borrowing from itself? What are some of the reasons that that interest rate environment in the fixed income world are so distorted? Let's start with that one. Yeah, it's in it's in the U.S. It's also global. I mean, if you look at the amount of debt that is in the the, the global system today, it's around two hundred and fifty trillion dollars, and that debt eclipses the global economy by about three hundred and twenty percent. So the engine of growth is insufficient to keep up with the amount of debt that's in the system. The only way the central banks can hope for growth in the economy is to make sure that the interest payments on that debt don't overwhelm us. So they're trying to sit on interest rates. The unintended consequence is if you are in a pension plan or an insurance company and allocating assets and trying to create you know, income for the folks who are going to be requiring it, or if you are a retiree and you need consistent, predictable income, you are a part of the cost. You were a calculated risk and, and, and you are being thrown, uh, thrown away, essentially. Um, they want to keep the system at, at operating. They want to keep it operating in a healthy fashion. 
inflation. And it's very difficult to do that when you have the amount of debt that we have in the system, government debt, private debt, corporate debt. Uh, you know, corporations in the U.S. over the last decade since the global financial crisis have added on average $1 trillion in new debt to their balance sheet. If their business slows at all at the margins, now you're talking about not being able to keep up with the debt monster. So it's a, it's a real problem. I mean, if you wanted to sort of place blame, you could say the Fed has tried to do something really, really good for us. You know what that was? Eliminate the business cycle. They want only uh, good times for us, and they're not willing to see the bad times because in bad times, guess what happens? You've got a bunch of corporations and individuals and governments that can't make payments on what they owe. Mm -hmm. So they've tried to extend that business cycle uh, beyond a natural point, and now we're seeing the unintended consequences of it. Okay, if you're trying to mm -hmm. garner an income as a retiree, can't get it without taking huge yeah. risks, I should say. Yeah, and that's that's a, the second part of my question is, ha has that action over the years of keeping interest rates artificially low so that they could they could service their debt or, or not service it as the case may be uh, not create more more uh, interest payments has that then created a, a climate where the average person out there with a 401k plan has been pushed out into the outer limbs of the uh, branches of the tree on uh, the risk tree and and now looks at their 401k statement and says well I'm not I wouldn't make any money if I was in bonds or money market so I'm I'm going to take more risk and and push myself out there. And is this the backlash now of that? Um, uh, you know, people are taking too much risk because they are only offered traditional investments. Bill, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, the, the conventional wisdom is you get to retirement, you should be moving out of stocks and into bonds because bonds are supposed to provide the income you need and have a lower risk profile than stocks. And this distortion of interest rates has caused a real a real problem. And you're right, the climate is such that if you want your quote-unquote magic 5%, it was only two, three decades ago that it was very reasonable for you to save money and expect 5% from a laddered CD portfolio. CDs, we're talking about plain vanilla, boring, but you're going to get 5%, and that was normal. You could expect it. Now you have to buy junk bonds to get 5%. So yes, you're exactly right, Bill. People have been pushed into a risk category. They have no idea what they're signing on for in terms of price volatility just to get the quote-unquote magic 5%. This is not your grandfather's CD portfolio. This is junk, junk, junk. And that's the distortion that's been created by, um, by the Fed and the other central banks. People who have to have the income supplement are taking way too much risk, and they don't realize it. Great point. So, you know, in, in most cases, like if you look at the average person with their, again, their, their 401k plan at work, they really don't have a lot of choices that give them the ability to invest in alternative type of investments or, or real assets. It's, 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 you know, the stocks and bonds and money market and guaranteed account. Um, and so uh, is there an uptick in people that are, if, if available, removing their money from, say, 401k plans, let's just focus on that for a second, and, and putting those into uh, IRA accounts that allow them to invest in alternative investments, as an example? Are you seeing those trends? Sure, and we're certainly taking some of our portfolios to the 401k market this year because I think it makes sense. People want real assets with cash flow. 
And so we can beat the bond market on the cash flow side, and we can own real assets, and some of those owning them at cyclical lows. So we, we like what we're doing there in the 401k space, uh, and that'll be launched later this year. Um, where people are getting creative, I mean, they're just not given many options. So my advice if you want something practical to do, if, if you're limited in your options in a 401k and you can't move funds, uh, is just keep it in, in the closest to a cash equivalent possible. Um, you, you might say, well, I'm giving up potential gains. Yeah, but I think this last week has shown you that you can give up 10 12% in a very short period of time. And in fact, even with the declines that we've just seen in the stock market last week, we're still at the second most overpriced stock market in all of U.S. history. So we gave back a little bit, but we're basically saying we took 10% off of record highs. <laughs> so, I mean, are we in a bargain basement value range? Uh, no, not even close. Not even close. Uh, and I could give you five different valuation indicators that would suggest, again, you're paying really, really rich prices even with this correction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Zero is the new hero uh, again, all, all over again. I want to read you a, a quick, uh, a quick statement, um, uh, and uh, you tell me if you know where it's from. Buckle up. This year may well be a year of dramatic volatility in the worldwide markets. Do you recognize that statement? Because I'm reading it from the interview we did in 2015. So <laughs> the year, the year was 2015, and here we go again, right? Yeah, and I, th- I think volatility is something that is is getting even crazier because you're dealing with things that get into people's heads and challenge the certainty that they have about what tomorrow is going to look like. If you can see tomorrow very clearly, then you can invest with greater degrees of speculation and greater probabilities of success. But if you can't see what tomorrow holds, okay, what do we have this year? This is 2020. This is a this is a political cra- year of craziness here in the United States. What does it mean? We have political uncertainty. We have geopolitical uncertainty, not only changing relationships in the Middle East, a challenged relationship with Russia, with Turkey, a trade war with China. That trade war is getting ready to open up to new levels with Europe. I mean, the geopolitical scene does not provide a lot of certainty, and yet we've been investing for the last couple of years as if we have crystal ball clarity about what's getting ready to happen. So political uncertainty, geopolitical uncertainty, and now we have unfolding financial market uncertainty. And, and, and of course, this was triggered by the coronavirus and, and wondering what the implications are. Finally, finally, Bill, I think there's actually a little bit of sanity in the market because it was insane up to this point, thinking, people thinking that they knew something that they actually did not. Now they're at least asking questions about what tomorrow holds. And I, I, clearly, there's still a, a lot of cloud that hangs over that. Um, but, but you've got people engaged now engage, and I appreciate that. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think uh, so many people, um, I don't know, it, it, it's only been 12 years since 2008, and they just, they forget, right? And we get, we, we're busy, everybody's busy, they get involved in their day-to-day. Uh, but to really step back and take a look at what has happened, what are the influences that have created the situation where interest rates have gone so low and, and have pushed so many people into such risky investments and what's the backlash of that? And I think the question is now, you know, what's next? What, what do you think the next, you, like you said, we have an election year coming up. It's going to be uh, very interesting because it, it could drive tax policy and other things that are, are bad for the market. Um, 
at what point do the feds have to uh, start raising interest rates again and even more importantly how much ammunition do they have left after raising after dropping rates a half a point the other day how much in, uh, ammunition do they have left if we enter into severe rest recessionary times you may be aware that we do a weekly podcast and have done that for the last 12 years, but this last summer we distributed a paper from the IMF, and the IMF was doing the research at the time to ask how low can we take interest rates. And they basically said, take out your eraser, folks. Get rid of the zero line. You can go negative. You can go negative three, four, five, six. They're really, you can take it as low as you want. And, and we've been playing with this boogeyman of you can only go to zero, for decades, maybe even centuries, and it's an arbitrary line. So I think, Bill, more likely than the Fed, in, in, increasing interest rates anytime soon would be experimenting with that lower level and actually going negative for the first time. Now, it creates more distortions. Uh, you know, if, if you have to, like a Swiss depositor at UBS, pay three-quarters of a percent on your cash balance, wouldn't you rather have that cash in your mattress than, than in the bank? And that's, that's what happened this last year is, is negative interest rates. Now you've got the banks you know, who are extracting almost a full percent each year just for the privilege of having cash on account. So what are the implications? The implications are we may see a seizure in, in, in the financial system where they basically say you have to stay in. You can't get out. Um, and I think, you know, this is a really, really interesting period of time to be engaged and try to figure out what their options are. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And that's exactly what we saw on display with Jerome Powell today. It was an act of desperation, moving low, rates lower by 50 basis points. And I think we should be aware that they can do even more. Imagine a world of negative 5% negative five percent. Wow. That may be the reality. That may be the reality just a year or two from now, where, again, desperate times call for desperate measures. And it really, we talked to one of the lead, uh, call her a consigliere, um, for the central bank community, Carmen Reinhardt, just a couple of years ago. And she said, when it comes to desperate times, you basically are choosing the winners and losers. From a public policy standpoint, you have to decide who's going to win, who's going to lose, who's more important. And I can tell you, the depositor loses. They've been losing for the last decade as rates have come down, and they are the targeted loser of first resort, according to public policy, as we move into the next crisis. So, you know, and again, Carmen Reiter, she teaches at Harvard. This is, this is a very legitimate gal, very thoughtful. Um, she's not recommending that we end up taking uh, your, your middle-class depositor to the woodshed, but given the choice of a failed financial system and someone paying a very high price who, who probably doesn't understand what's happening to them, I think the public policy recommendation would be take the middle-class depositor or, or retiree to the woodshed. So what does an individual do? I think you have to look at, at defensive positions. Uh, gold and silver do make sense in this environment, uh, but you have to de-risk your portfolio as much as possible. Be up to a third or 50% in cash. A third's probably a good number in cash, in a 401k, in an IRA, in a traditional equity account. Your broker will go nuts. He'll think you're crazy. 5% max. If you look at current money market, or I'm sorry, mutual fund cash balances, they're about 2.6%, lowest they've ever been.
lowest they've ever been. Everyone has an all-in bet on the success of the markets and of the economy. And yet, as we mentioned earlier, we've got this trifecta of uncertainty, political uncertainty, geopolitical uncertainty, and financial market uncertainty. A smart investor at this point is going to engage completely and make sure they don't have all their assets at risk. Excellent advice. A really interesting interview, and I'm sorry the time goes by so quickly. We, we, we just got rolling, but it's time to move on. And David, I want to thank you very much for joining me today. Tell our listeners how they can best uh, find out about your podcast and, and you uh, and, and your company. We have two websites. If you're interested in our weekly podcast, uh, we try to pack 10 pounds of mud into a 5-pound sack every week. That's at weeklycommentary.com weeklycommentary.com. And if you're interested in a savings alternative in gold ounces, vaulted.com is a great place to kind of kick the tires. Vaulted, just like you're putting something in the vault. Uh, That's a cooperative project that we've got with the Royal Canadian Mint. And it's been a fabulously, fabulously successful offering in the last year or so. So vaulted.com and uh, weeklycommentary.com if you want to get to know the McElvaney Group. Excellent job. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, I took a whole page full of notes, and I hope our listeners did too, David. Thanks once again for joining me today. Appreciate the opportunity, Bill. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 